0: Well, we're going to continue our series in the book of Joshua, so I'd invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 24 and stand for the reading of God's word as I read out our scripture passage for the morning. I'll be reading from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 28. That can be found on page 198 in your church Bibles. We'll hear God's word now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you. After having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You were witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning.
1: Go ahead and keep your Bibles open as we turn to the last in our series in the book of uh, Joshua. We have been looking at four um, truths that we must not forget, that God's people often forget uh, from the book of Joshua. Joshua. And uh, we've been looking at the book of Joshua. You say, well, why why are we looking at an Old Testament book? The reason why we're looking at an Old Testament book is because all of the scriptures point to Christ, and the Old Testament scriptures were the New Testament Christians' Bible, and and Joshua points to Christ. And in fact, a parallel New Testament book to um, the book of Joshua is, is the book of Acts. So, just as in the Old Testament, God's people are called to go into the land underneath their great captain Joshua, to follow Joshua and go and take the land. So in the New Testament, God's people are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them everything that Jesus commanded them under the leadership of their great captain, our great captain Jesus. And the Old Testament Joshua, uh, the, uh, the Hebrew Joshua in Greek is Jesus, and we are called to follow Jesus into the land and make disciples of all nations, and we've been looking at these four forgotten truths about God's people from the book of Joshua, because you see, Joshua is written with a particular purpose. Its particular purpose is to remind us of the faithfulness of God, and so often we forget that as God's people. We're told that soon after Joshua died, there arose a new generation that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel, and they forgot And Joshua is written to remind people. It's a public record of everything that God did for his people so that they would not forget but remember what he had done and so be faithful to God as he had been uh, faithful to them. And the book of Joshua is structured around four large movements. There's the introductory part that tells the story of how Moses had died and now Joshua was to lead God's people into the land and how God promises to be with him as he does that. And then there's the list of the battles that they fought and their victories and indeed their failure when when they were not faithful to God and there's the description of that. And then there's the, the long list, this long section, chapter after chapter, that describes all the inheritance of God's people, the different land that they received, the different tribes uh, and their land that they received in the promised land. And it can seem to us when we read it, like, why is, why is there all this long list of different territory? Well, because it's a description of God's faithfulness, that all that God had promised them had happened. There it is. That's your land. He's faithful. And uh, so that's the third section. Then the last section is the one we're looking at this morning, which is this final call of Joshua to God's people, his sermon, to which he's asking for a response. And these four forgotten truths that we've been looking at together, the first of those four forgotten truths was that we're on a mission, and we looked at how that is uh, true for us today, that we've been called by God. We're not passive. We're not just sitting around doing nothing as Christians. We have a mission. You have a purpose. If you follow Jesus this morning, you now have a purpose for your life. You have a mission to go and make disciples, and he's promised to be with you as you do that. So we looked at that in the first of those four forgotten truths. And then uh, we looked at um, the story of Rahab and how that tells us that we have to take a risk, the risk of faith, like Rahab took that risk. Trust him. And uh, we, we looked at that uh, together. And then the third of the four forgotten truths uh, we looked at last week was that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. But the battle is different from the one we often think it is. It's not a battle between different denominations, different Christian groups, uh, different personalities. No, the battle belongs to the Lord. And there's a the wrong question that uh, Joshua asked the captain of the Lord that he met that we looked at last week where he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the captain of the Lord responded, you remember, no, wrong question. Instead, then the right question is, what do you have to say to me? And so the battle belongs to the Lord. It's His his battle. And as we stand in the armor of God and put on the, the, the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the redness that comes from the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in our hand. Then we fight our spiritual battles, and we look to that. Uh, last, uh, last week. Well now th- we come to the final of these uh, four forgotten truths about God's people from the book of Joshua and I've called the sermon this morning You Have to Make a Choice. You have to make a choice. Now how important that is today. If you listen to uh, worship pastors across the country having conversations about how uh, to lead people in worship these days. One of the primary issues which many people are wrestling is sometimes called participation. How do you actually get people to feel like they're participating? They're not just watching a show. We're involved. We're committed. It's a hard thing for all of us today because we're so used to watching screens, aren't we? And sometimes when I'm up here preaching. I, I look out and I think, do people actually realise I'm here? I, I'm, you know, I'm actually here. I can see you. And we—it's participation, commitment. You have to make a choice. And there are two parts to the sermon. Two predominant themes to this sermon that Joshua preaches and the call to response that he gives that I'm going to walk us through. And if you're taking notes, these are the two parts to my sermon this morning that we're looking at together. You're listening, I'm preaching, two parts to it. And those are, you have to make a choice about whom to serve. So we'll think about that together. And then you have to make a choice today. (laughs) Today. That's a big part of what Joshua is saying to them. So we'll, we'll, let's look at it together. You have to make a choice about whom to serve. Now this matter of service is emphasized again and again through this passage that Pastor Ben just read out for us so well. It's again and again. It's emphasized. In fact, from verse 14 to verse 28, the word serve or service is used 14 times. It's, it's, it's the clear emphasis by repetition. And in fact, in, in the sort of setup to the call to response in verses 14 and 15, and then you get this sort of backwards and forwards um, preaching and answer response going on, um, uh, call and response happening here. Um, this would be a good, good passage to preach in an African American church. You say, Yeah, I'm with you, Pastor. We believe that. And there's a call and response. But in the setup to it, In verses 14 and 15, uh, the word serve is emphasized seven times. Now, just listen to how how he underlines it, how Joshua underlines that that's, you must make a choice about whom to serve. That's the emphasis. So, verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this is a choice about whom to serve. And the, uh, the Israelites get that's what Joshua is driving at. They're listening carefully to his sermon. And so then when they answer, verse 16... Uh, their, the initial answer goes from verse 16 to 18 and they top and tail their answer at the beginning and the end with the same emphasis to indicate they've got it. So verse 16, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And then they get the reason why they're not going to do that. And the end, verse 18, therefore we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. And on and on it goes, emphasizing again and again. This is the issue. You have to make a choice about whom to serve. Now, we today don't, don't think in those terms. When, when we think about service and whom to serve, we, the only way we tend to think about serving is sort of a, a call to serve in the children's ministry, maybe, or volunteering perhaps in, uh, for the park district or the school board, I'm serving on the school board, uh, that sort of thing but what this here is about is something of ultimate allegiance what joshua is saying is you can't have two masters not as far as god is concerned the lord god you either serve him or you serve something else who is your master That's the biblical way of looking at it. It seems so old-fashioned to us. I mean, Bob Dylan sang many, many years ago now. (laughs) You know, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But it seems so antiquated now. What resonates now with us much more is that poem uh, Invictus, which says, uh, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I don't have to serve anybody. But the Bible, and Joshua here is, is, is saying, is preaching, no, actually you do. You do have a choice, but it's not a choice between will you serve God or, or do whatever you like. Actually, the choice is, whom will you serve? Who is your master? For everyone has a master. That's, that's the biblical way of thinking. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. And in fact, Joshua makes it very clear that actually this is ultimately a spiritual thing. So he says here um, that, that it's, the choices before them are in terms of which gods they're going to serve. So he says... Uh, um, uh, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river. That may well be uh, the forefathers that, that even before Abraham that they were serving. Those pagan gods For Abraham was called by God. And in Egypt, the Egyptian pagan gods. Or another option might be the gods of the Amorites, uh, verse 15, in whose land you dwell. So the, these are the gods. You can serve one of those gods. That's a choice. Or you can serve the Lord. So in the the Bible's way of thinking, it's not a choice between serving God and doing whatever you like. It's a choice between who is your master, serving God or serving something or someone else. What is more? In the Bible's way of thinking here, behind those choices of who is your master, even, and I'm going to illustrate this in just a moment, but even in secular culture, even in non-religious culture, behind that there's a spiritual Serving? You can serve a different God, but you're serving some God. That's what Joshua is saying. Is that really true? Oh, yes. I, uh, when we were doing a revitalization, church revitalization, church planting on the East Coast, which has, of course, a lot of atheists there, Many, many who would say they don't believe in any God whatsoever. When we were doing that over there, I remember the day when I was thinking to myself, what's the idol? What are the, what are the gods of this region? And I was at Yale, Yale University, and I wandered into the, uh, the library, the main library at Yale University, which is a huge building. Uh, it's several times the size of this building. I mean, it's massive. It's called the Sterling Memorial Library. And the Stirling Memorial Library is built to look like a European cathedral. It's a huge place, and it's, got, it's made of stone. And it's got all that European cathedral sort of feel to it. Okay? It looks like that. And you walk into the Sterling Memorial Library, which is a library, and you go in there, and there's this massive place, huge space everywhere, books, you can't believe how many, you know, millions of things all over the place. And you got, I, I went up to the... Um, uh, the front desk, the lending desk, thinking about, you know, what are the gods around here? What are the idols around here? And went up to the lem- lending desk, and, which is where you go to get, you know, to take out books, obviously. I went up to the lending desk, a couple of people standing there, very nice and polite, asking, you know, what kind of book do you like? That sort of thing. And as we're going through that, I happened to glance above their heads, and I notice a massive picture of the goddess of knowledge. Well, there you go. There's Stirling Memorial Library, built to look like a European cathedral, a centre of worship, and at the high altar is the goddess of knowledge. It's not too subtle when you can see it. And as often the case, often idols, in particularly in secular culture, are sort of hidden in plain sight. Like when you see it, it's like, how did I miss that? It's everywhere. And what, what is more, Joshua here, you know, you think, well, that's for them out there. But no, Joshua says here, put away the gods that your fathers served. Beyond the, he's talking to them. You guys put away the gods. Now, there's no, there's no evidence that they were yet literally worshiping physical idol statues. So why does he tell them to put away the gods? Because John Calvin put it like this. He said that, that the human heart is an idol factory. We're always generating idols because it's always a tendency. It's always a temptation. We can always go that direction. What are the idols around here? What are the gods of the western suburbs of Chicago? Money? Fame, security, what other people think of you, your family. It's not always in itself a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. That's a good thing. Uh, you, you can be rich and greatly used by the Lord. Many people have been. Abraham was wealthy. Not in itself a bad thing. But when it becomes your master, you can have money and serve the Lord, but you cannot serve money and serve God. You can have great knowledge and serve The Lord. Many people have down through the years. Augustine, Calvin himself, Johnson. These people use their knowledge to serve the Lord. You can have knowledge and serve the Lord. But you cannot serve knowledge and serve God. Knowledge puffs up, it's love that builds up. What are the idols around here? There well, are probably several of them. usually are pagan idols, a whole pantheon of different options. Sex. I remember when my brother came into... Um, I've got two brothers, and one of them flew in to see us a few years ago, and he flew into, the, um, uh, into O'Hare Airport and came to see us, and got a taxi to come to see us, and he came to see us and said, I was very amused, you know, he's English of course so when English say they're amused they're making a point, the humour for English always has a point, you know, it's not just like ha ha, he was amused, you know I was very amused So he said I was very amused when I was uh, driving in on the taxi down the highway to notice all um, all those advertisements for whorehouses it's interesting isn't it you drive down the highway and there's all the gentlemen's clubs all over the place Sex is—it's a good thing. I mean, within God's design, sex is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God, but it is not. It is not. It cannot be your master. Not if you're to serve God. You must make a choice about whom you will serve. And Joshua says, you must make a choice today. Now, I'm, I'm cautious about this. I never want to be a preacher that puts emotional pressure on people. I, I have Those people who get to know me well will realize that I have a lot of um, passion, a lot of emotion. So I, I, I never want to, like, like you know, if, if, you're, if you're reasonably good with words, you can make people laugh, and then make them cry, and then make them laugh, and make them cry, and then they'll do whatever you want, almost, you know? It's like, oh, that was a great joke. Oh, no, I'm crying. It's like you can manipulate people. Get them to make a decision. I never want to do that because I want to, I respect you. You're made in the image of God. I never want to do that with you. I never want to be treated that way myself. And anyway, even if I could do that, I wouldn't want to because that's not how conversion happens. Conversion happens by the sovereign act of God's spirit. If I could somehow with enough, you know, rhetorical fireworks, get you to do something. If it wasn't the work of the Spirit of God, it wouldn't be real anyway. I wouldn't want to do that. You have to meet God by His Spirit. So I never, I never want to pressurize people emotionally. Only the Spirit of God can grant renewal and new life. Only He can do it. That's an that's a encouraging thought as a preacher. It's also an awesome thought that we must ask Him to do it. So I never want to pressurize you, but here in this passage, and I'm not going to pressurize you this morning, but here in this passage, there's a clear emphasis on urgency. Joshua's at the end of his life. He's called this great meeting of God's people. And then he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Uh, That's um, uh, verse 15. And then the people get that there's an urgency because as they go through this you know, preacher response kind of thing and then they get uh, to uh, verse 22. And Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They say, we are witnesses. It happened that day. And he said it has to be today. Today. But you see, that, that actually is a legitimate and important emphasis in preaching the gospel. Whenever the gospel is preached, it's urgent. You know, there, there, is, there, is, there is no tomorrow in preaching. If you say, I'll do that tomorrow, well, tomorrow never comes, because when you get to tomorrow, then it's today, and tomorrow's the next day. Saying, I'll do it tomorrow, is always a way of saying, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, or I, 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 at least I'm, I'm not sure I want to do it right now. It's always today. say, why is that? Well, because we don't know how long we've got. You have now. You don't know about later. And you say, oh, that's that preacher thing. Well, you know, you go outside of the doors and you cross the road and you get hit by a car. That's never going to (laughs) happen. Look, if at any time in contemporary American history, we should be aware of the fragility the precariousness of life. It should be now. Wasn't it just last week that Kobe Bryant was larger than life? Surrounded by all the wealth and prestige you could possibly imagine. And he's just snatched out of the sky. You don't know. A coronavirus heart attack. You you just don't know. Choose this day, today. And Joshua gives them reasons to do so. The reasons he gives, and we didn't read out this passage because it's lengthy, but at the beginning of chapter 24, he lays out all that God has done. Uh, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, the father Abraham. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. And he, talks, he, he tells the whole story of God's salvation plan from Abraham through to Moses, now into the promised land. And he's saying, look, God has been faithful. God, so here's the reasons. God has been faithful. And what is more, what he does is he, he does this covenant ceremony at a particular place. And I think it's highly strategic on the part of Joshua. He chooses Shechem to do this. And Shechem, you see, it's not just sort of anywhere. Shechem was the place that Abraham, right after he'd been called by God in Genesis chapter 12, then went into the land and then the first altar of worship to God that Abraham built was at Shechem. And he was building an altar there in faith saying, one day God will give us this land. And now Joshua is at Shechem. He's saying, God has been faithful. Therefore, choose today. God has been faithful to you. Your family, your friends, your life, the gifts that he's given you, the church. He's been so faithful to you. Choose today to have him as your master. Not a bit of God and a bit of all these other things but him as your master so he gives them reasons he also gives them to choose today he also gives them an example now this is powerful when we lead we should always aim to lead by example and that's exactly what Joshua does he says but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord can you imagine that there he's surrounded by all these people he's presenting them a choice you can do this or you can serve the Lord but I I'm 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 going to serve the Lord. He's setting an example. You've had lots of examples of what it means to follow God. Certainly, we have had in this town. And Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's an example. Billy Graham, we've got the Billy Graham Center, he's an example. Todd Beamer on that United Airlines Flight 93 who decided to do the right thing in a moment of great crisis. What an example. Andrew Brunson, the pastor who was faithful in a Turkish jail to his Christian commitments. What an example. The example of your, your parents, the example of... Your friends, the example of this church, which has been around for 150 years, faithful pastor, faithful pastor after faithful pastor, elders and deacons. And you are surra- you know, like globally, you are surrounded with examples of people who said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and God's faithfulness to those people. Joshua sets an example. You have examples. He also gives them tools. He knows how fickle the human heart is, so he surrounds the human heart with, with tools that will help them. Uh, he uh, makes a covenant, uh, verse 25. So l- literally, in the, in the Old Testament, it says make a covenant. It literally is, is cut a covenant. And scholars don't know exactly why it's described that way, but probably the reason why it's described as Cutting a covenant, this again goes back to uh, God's work with Abraham when it's described in greater detail. Probably what happens is, what was happened was that, that, they, that an animal sacrifice takes place. An animal is killed, there's a cut, and that's the covenant. In other words, what you're saying is, as they say here literally, if, if I don't keep this covenant, what happened to this animal is going to happen to me. So he's, emph- he's giving them the tool to remember, like you cut a covenant, you saw that. And then he gives them a book. Joshua 26 wrote these words in the book of the law of God or the book of Torah, the book of teaching of God. Uh, this book of Joshua itself, part of it probably written by Joshua, put together perhaps by Samuel, he gave them a book. And then he also set up a stone of remembrance. Again, the whole book of Joshua is about being, remembering God's faithfulness. And 26, he took a large stone, set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And he said, Behold, this stone shall be a witness for us, for he has, it has heard all the words the Lord spoke to us. He personifies the stone. It, this stone heard. When every time you look at the stone, it heard. Now we have a covenant. We just celebrated it. We have a book. We're studying it right now. And we have stones of remembrance all around us of God's faithfulness. Places where we have made vows to our husband or our wife. Places where we have buried our loved ones, had Funerals for them. Places where we have sung songs of devotion. Places where we have heard God's word preached. If we forget, the stones themselves will cry out. Choose this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice about whom to serve, and you have to make a choice today. But you know, the, I, when I, I always look for the surprise in the passage when I'm preparing, and there is a surprise here. And the surprise is in verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> That's a thing to say as a preacher. Um, I, you know, I'm preaching that you would do something or other, but you're not able to do it anyway. For he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. Um, the, jealous, the word jealous in English is the one, if you see in the Bible, jealous God. And you think, what does that mean? The word jealous in English it has the same root in terms of etymology as zealous and the, the idea in this jealous God is that he has zeal for his own honor and there is a kind of jealousy that is good. That is a, ze- a husband to his wife or wife to his husband expects exclusive intimacy. In that sense, he's a loving God. And he's looking for a marriage with his people. And then when it says, he will not forgive your transgressions, your sins, don't, don't get all bent out of shape about that way of putting it. Perhaps a better way of putting it, a better, another translation would be, he will not tolerate your rebellion. But, th- but this is the surprise, isn't it? He, what does he say? You are not able to serve the Lord. Why does he say that? That's, that's not the way you bring a sermon home to people. You wouldn't, you wouldn't hear that in a homiletics class, you know, preaching on the love of God. And then when you get to, by the way, you can't love God. So, you know, you don't do that. Why does he do it? Is he just depressed? Coming to the end of his life, you know, old man. Oh, you, you guys, you're useless. You can't do anything. Is, is that what it is? No. Actually, this is not the first time this has been said to God's people. The end of Deuteronomy, Moses said the same thing. For God had said the same thing to Moses. That this people will not be faithful. They will not do it. And Joshua says again, you cannot do it. That's real, isn't it? And indeed, they did fail and go into exile. Exile. But one day, the perfect son of God came. And that covenant that was cut, that they broke and had to pay the price of their rebellion, he himself bore their transgressions. He was cut. And the price of his own blood we can go free to serve the Lord. And by His Spirit, we have the power of God. He's given us a new heart, a new desire to serve Him. But you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice about whom you will serve. And you have to make it today. Oh, Lord God, we do bow before you and we confess that when Joshua says, you cannot do it, that resonates with, with much of what we often feel, that we wrestle with sin and temptation and we confess that to you again. But Lord, even more than that this morning, we bow in wonder and praise and adoration at the one who did keep the covenant and indeed in his own blood established a new covenant that sinners like us might serve you in freedom and joy and peace and love. Oh, Lord God, we love you and we thank you. How could you be so merciful and so loving that at the price of your own dear Son, you will redeem us? We pray, Lord, that we would then put our faith in you. That we would hide ourselves in you. That we would decide to follow you. That we would have you as our master.
0: And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.